Uh, what I want to do today, this afternoon with you, is do a part two to last week. Um, how many of you guys enjoyed that message from last week? Come on. And uh, it is not out on the podcast yet. These, this message and last week's message will get uploaded together as a one and two part series, if you will. And so make sure you grab that, send this out. This is a very important message to what I believe God's doing right now. And so what I want to do is lay, um, I want to lay just a little more framework from what I did last week and then step into what we're wanting to do. And, uh, but I have this titled, The Transition of Supernatural Wisdom. The Transition of Supernatural Wisdom. We started last week out of Proverbs chapter 3, and it says there, on the slide, if we got it, we do. Amen. It says, The Lord laid the earth's foundations with wisdom's blueprints. By his living understanding, all the universe came into being. By his divine revelation, he broke open the hidden fountains of the deep, bringing secret springs to the surface as the mist of the night dripped down from heaven. Uh, and we talked, we opened up this idea about the need and the precedence for three things, and it was wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. Say this with me, wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. Now, this, in this passage of Scripture, you see actually, I believe it's in Proverbs 2, it's in Proverbs, I, I, I think 11 and maybe 21. It's four times in Proverbs you see that Solomon writes this out in order that you see wisdom founds, understanding establishes, and knowledge opens. Wisdom founds, understanding establishes, and knowledge opens. Say that with me. Wisdom founds, understanding establishes, and knowledge opens. There's a unique relationship between these three elements uh, in the kingdom of God, and I really believe there's a highlight on these three things that we need to be aware of. And so I spent time really last week trying to lay out for you why we need wisdom, knowledge, or wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. And one of the things that we need to, let's just go to the next slide. This will, sit, this will show it a little bit better. We are moving from seeing to believe to believe to see. There's a shift in the kingdom of God. There's a shift as a part of the kingdom of God that we're all invited to. This is not a new thing. This is the way the kingdom works. You know, in our old nature, we have to see it, then we'll believe it. It's like, man, if I could just see someone get healed, then I'll believe it to be true. But how many know that in the word of God, we are able to believe something through the word and then manifest it after we believe it? Amen. And there's a difference. One is, one is a path of doubt, and the other is a path of faith. And so there's a shift that's happening, and we all need to kind of measure where we're at in our process of saying, as I interact with the Lord, as I walk my walk out with God, do I have to see to believe, or am I willing to believe to see? So there's a shift there, right? And so seeing from the old nature, you know, most of us, when we think about wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, we see from the old nature. And we think that wisdom is about my ability to be smart, your ability to be smart. Understanding is your ability to, like, figure things out. And knowledge is about your accumulation of information. And now, you know, this is kind of this thing. And, and, and so most of us, when we, when we are thinking about wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, we are then saying, okay, this is what we know, and now we need to go have an encounter. And then we want our encounter to inform our wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. So it's like, well, this is what I know, so then now let me go have an encounter with love, and then I'll be able to see. So let me, let me, uh, you know, let me, let me see this, and then get a, a, a love experience, and then I will believe. And so we're needing to shift from believing to see to seeing to believe. So last week I talked about this idea of love, hope, and faith being an introduction to wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. And, and so I believe that there's an order shift that's happening for us to see wisdom, 
understanding and knowledge from a new perspective. And our old perspective, it was, hey, I know these things to be true. You know, this is what I, because I've seen it, and now I need to go have a love encounter. And then it's basically the old idea was, you know, well, then it's going to help me do what I already know better. How many guys know that God is not trying to do a renovation on the old man? We cannot enter into believing that the new wineskin is just the old thing that I already knew a little bit better. And that's what those errors are trying to show us. You know, that's that old mindset that I'm going to take what I already have, put a little salt on it, and still serve it on the table. How many of that's not what God's doing? That's not the wisdom, understanding, and knowledge that we're looking for. We're not looking for man's wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. We need God's wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. Now, there's a difference between those two things, isn't there? You see, because one of them is what I've gained in my strength, and the other version is what God can give to me in a moment. Come on. How many, how many of you guys have earned God's love? Anybody in the room earned God's love? <laughs> I haven't earned God's love. Come on, there's nothing I can do to perform into making him love me more. God already loves me to the fullest capacity that he is able to love. It can't increase. And just so you know, it's everlasting and more than I can ever fathom, which is pretty exciting. And, and yet, there's nothing I can do to, to make God love me more. I can't perform into it. So let's go to the next slide. This is what I believe is happening. We used to believe from seeing, from the old nature, and then we get an upgrade through love, hope, and faith that allows us to see from believing in a new nature. How many of we need to believe that we are a new nature? Yeah? So the, the old nature is dead. You know, behold, all things are new. And so now I believe that I'm new and I begin to see. I believe that I'm new, and I begin to see. Say that with me. I, and I begin to see. And so this new experience that I have does not then turn into a salt shaker and inform what I already knew in the natural. It elevates me into a higher place of living from the new nature. Come on. How many of you there's a difference between making the old nature a little better and living from the new nature? You see, the new nature isn't wisdom and understanding and knowledge from the new nature is different than wisdom, understanding, and knowledge from the old nature. Because the old nature is about my performance. The new nature is about his ability, yeah? And so we are needing to discover how to break into supernatural wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. What do those three things do? Wisdom founds, understanding establishes, and knowledge opens. Do that with me one more time. Wisdom founds, understanding establishes, and knowledge opens. And so we need this at a supernatural level right now. So if we go to the next slide, this is where, what I really spent a lot of time with you on, is that, how many know that love is supernatural? Yeah, it is, right? We, we know that an encounter with God's love is a supernatural experience. Hope is supernatural. Why? Because it has an expectation of something good in our future despite what I see in front of me. Amen? How many know it takes a supernatural lens to do that? Faith, that's an easy one for us. It's supernatural. Faith is for sure supernatural, right? We don't have a problem with that. And so we need to begin to see wisdom, understanding, and knowledge in the same way. We need to begin to realize that there's a version of love that's my ability, and then there's a version of love that is his ability. You know, and in the same way we believe that, wisdom, understanding, and knowledge are in the same way. Now, they also, I believe, go in this order. You have a love encounter that then allows you to see from a hopeful perspective, that then allows you to have faith, which is the substance of things hoped for. Faith comes from love. That then requires wisdom to begin, understanding to establish, and knowledge to open. Come on. 
So love restores, hope sees, faith believes, wisdom founds, understanding establishes, and knowledge opens. Step one, two, three, four, five, and six. Pretty interesting, isn't it? And so we know that Paul said, you know, you know, faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love. It has to be the beginning. It's what colors our ability to interpret the things that we are going to do. Now, if we go to the next slide here, I also spent some time with you guys last week talking about that love, hope, and faith are in the unseen realm, and wisdom, understanding, and knowledge are in the seen realm. This is where we've got confused about the old nature, wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, and the new nature, wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, because they're both in the seen realm. But the difference is, is that when wisdom, understanding, and knowledge come from God, out of the foundation of love, hope, and faith, it yields a supernatural result that actually manifests heaven rather than manifesting man's own ability. So let's just talk about this for a second. We go to, a, to a, the, the doctor, uh, the, the professor who has their doctorate and runs the senior cohort of this blah, 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 Ivy League, home, all the things, wrote all the articles, got published in all this thing and that thing, been decorated and is brought up on the podium at this place and that place all over the world. And when they speak, they speak with authority because they have wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. Yeah? How many know that God's wisdom will confound who? The wise. Who's God talking about right there? He's talking about wisdom founded in the old nature. It's man's ability, man's concepts, man's opportunity to gather things together and to create data, if you will. And so wisdom, understanding, and knowledge will always be seen. It will always be in the seen realm. And so because it operates in the seen realm, people who have a value for the unseen realm always thought it was lower than faith, hope, and love. And it's priority. But they didn't realize that actually wisdom, understanding, and knowledge are a mature understanding birthed out of faith, hope, and love that allows us to actually manifest heaven in the seen realm. I know I'm saying a lot here, but I need you to get it because we're, everyone say, we are here. That's where we're at right now. So many of you in the room, you know, let me just share the story. Ten, ten years ago, I walked into Bethel Church and like, I got it. I got it. I was like. The reason the church, the, the reason the Pentecostal charismatic movement never was, was pushing through and elevating to the place of leadership it needed to is because it didn't know its why. It didn't know why we needed the power of God. It didn't know why we needed authority. The, the why for the charismatic movement was we need to be in charge. We have the power so that we can be in charge. We have the power so we can run the church. We have the power. So here we are. We are validated and by the power. And, and the why is for me. So that you trust me and you think I'm the man or the woman of God. There was a self-interest there. It was, and it wasn't evil. It was actually just immaturity. It was naivety. And, and so what we, what, uh, 10 years ago, I walked into Bethel Church. And what Bill Johnson helped me shift my, my mindset on was what power and authority is unto. What is it for? What's the motivator for it? Why does it exist? Well, it exists so that heaven can come to earth. That's the why of the kingdom. Why, why do we need the kingdom? Well, so that the kingdom of heaven, the tools of the kingdom, the power of the kingdom, is all needed so that heaven can come to earth. Why do we need love, hope, and faith? So that the kingdom can come to earth. Why do we need to engage with the unseen realm? Well, so that we can manifest it in the seen realm. 
Why, why, you know, why do we need miracles? Why do we need you know, awe and wonder? Why do we need the inexplicable? Why do we need the unmeasurable? Why do we need connection? Why do we need these things that seem intangible like faith, hope, and love so that we can manifest it on where? On the earth. And so the why of the kingdom is on earth as it is in, in heaven. This is the motivator for every single one of you in the room. Whether you realize it or not, this is the broad understanding of the kingdom that we all relate with and connect with, whether you do consciously or subconsciously in your spirit. If you're here in this room, you relate with it. You might not, be able to, you might not have been able to tell me that a moment ago, but I'm telling you why you relate here. Is because you were made to manifest heaven on the earth and you're sitting in this room because you're filled with the spirit of God and you're in a room that's filled with people who all believe that we want heaven on earth or bust. It's the design. So how are we going to get heaven on the earth? How are we going to do that? If this is the job, you know, heaven and hell are not locations, they are realities. Heaven's not a place that I'm going to go to someday. It is a reality of, where, of God's existence that has been come and, it, and it's dwelling in me and is wanting to move through me to establish itself here on the earth. Yeah? You know, there's not some place in the middle of the earth that you're going to go someday if you were a bad boy or a bad girl. And that's Dante's Inferno. That's Greek mythology. It's Gnosticism. You know, we've created pitchforks and red figures and then angels on clouds, you know, strumming on the little harp. And we have a, an us and them and an up and an out and an in and an out and all these different try to like fear trajectories, trying to put people places so we can categorize things. And we don't realize that the message of the kingdom is an entrance strategy, not an emergency exit. Come on. This isn't mayday, 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 going down, going down, push eject button, mayday, mayday. Things are not going the way we thought they were. Mayday, mayday. The enemy is winning. Mayday, mayday, mayday. God, come rescue us. Mayday, mayday, mayday. That's actually what's not happening right now. It's not happening. What's happening right now is that God is more manifest on the earth than he's ever been in, in, in the history of mankind. The world looks more like Jesus right now than it ever has in the history of mankind. More people are dignified with value right now in the history of mankind than any other time in history. I just was redundant. But it's okay. I'm trying to say how much. <laughs> That's how much. There's never been more schools than right now in history. There's never been more hospitals right now than history. There's never been more wealth distributed to people right now than in this time in history. There's never been more human rights than right now in history. There's never been more documented miracles than right now in history. There's never been more people prepared for signs, wonders, and miracles than right now in history. There's never been more Christians per capita right now. Right now. You're alive in the greatest moment in the history of God showing himself in the earth. It's remarkable. Remarkable. So why is that? Well, we've been on a journey of living out of faith, hope, and love. But there's a tension right now because we're getting this clear understanding of our motivation. So why faith, hope, and love? Why the kingdom? We're engaging it. We're feeling it. We're sensing it. We're tasting it. We're hearing the kingdom. We're, 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 we're giving the kingdom away. And people are having encounters with God. And, and they're also having mystery and, and wonder. And the unseen realm is becoming alive. And, 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 and it's, it is, it's, it's, a, it's like a contagion. 
Can you say that word right now? I don't know. You know, it's like a contagion right now. It's just moving from person to person. And it's like, and it's, but it's unseen. It's unmeasurable, isn't it? So it's, it's experienced but unmeasurable. It's like, man, when you think about how much you've changed from who you were, you know, you know, five years ago to who you are right now, it's like, wow, it's become so much. And we might be able to measure our progress, but it's hard to measure the substance that brought the transformation. All we know is it was big and powerful because it moved this thing. Yeah? Moved my mindsets. Right. It it moved my unforgiveness It moved my lack of reconciliation It moved my brokenness. Come on, somebody It moved who I was in the past and moved me into a place of freedom and redemption and reconciliation. And I'm alive unto God right now because something that I can't measure and something I cannot see moved me from that broken place to who I am and where I'm at today. So I might be able to measure my progress, but it's hard to measure how much love and how much hope and how much faith it took me to get there. Because something was moving on my behalf that I can't measure. It's unseen. It's full of awe. It's full of wonder. And it's this place of like, ah. But guess what? God wants us to measure it. Because what you measure, you can integrate. What you measure, you can apply. What you measure, you can harness. What you measure, you can steward. What you measure, you can push forward. So the transition we're in right now is to learn how to take the skill of wisdom, understanding, and knowledge from a supernatural standpoint and begin to create a structure, a wineskin that can begin to measure the wine. You see, that line right there is the, is the tension of heaven and earth. We've been living from the unseen. We've been living in this, you know, heaven come to earth, heaven come to earth. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we've been getting excited about this message. We've been going after it, declaring it, saying, God, this is your will. God, this is your will. God, this is your will. Lord, this is your desire. Heaven on earth, heaven on earth. Your goodness, you're a good father. And we're like contending for these things in our identity and signs, wonders, and miracles and all the things that we've been going after. But why? so it can be seen on the earth. Hebrews 11, God framed the world with his words and made that which was seen from the unseen. We are all in process of trying to take the unseen and turn it into the seen. Yeah? I have to believe and then I will see. And so the world wants to believe or see, I'm sorry, so that they can believe. Which means if they have to see first out of their natural perspective, they will only manifest the results of their human ability. So wisdom founds. Let's go back to Proverbs 3 real quick. Proverbs 3, it says, And the Lord laid the earth's foundations with wisdom's blueprints. This is the Passion Translation. If you go to English Standard Version, it says, ESV, it says, And God founded the earth with wisdom. It's, it's literally blatantly says that. But it's the earth's foundations. How many know that God didn't found heaven with wisdom? It says he founded what? The earth's foundations. Yeah? Is the earth seen or unseen? It's seen. By his living understanding, all the universe came into being. That word universe is also cosmos, and it also is translated the heavens. It's the atmosphere. It's the full reality of who God is. Isn't it interesting that first is the earth is founded, and then number two, excuse me, understanding establishes. Other versions say that by his living understanding that the heavens were established or came into being. How many know that the cosmos are pretty hard to measure? How many galaxies are there? I don't know. More than we thought there were. 
but they came into being. How many know that we're looking to get heaven to be on the earth? Yeah? We're wanting it to exist. By his divine revelation, other versions say the word knowledge there, he broke open the hidden fountains of the deep, bringing secret springs to the surface as the mist of the night dripped down from heaven. And so what's happening right now is that we're living in the tension of the responsibility of where our faith or where our love, our hope, and our faith has gotten us. So I have a love encounter that then allows me to have hope, which is the joyful expectation of good in the future, that then allows me to believe still in the unseen. And now we're like, wait a minute. Wisdom. I thought wisdom was something that was seen. I've, I've been living in the unseen. Let's go back. Let's go back. Let's go back. Okay. okay. Love. Yes. Yes. Hope. Yes. Faith. Yes. Wisdom. <laughs> like, well, wait, that seems very natural. I, I, I don't know if this could be heaven on earth because it feels very natural. I feel like I'm crossing over into something. You are. It's called responsibility. Woohoo! It's responsibility to want to translate my love, my hope, and my faith into founding or beginning something. It's the translator's anointing. We are in a place where the Daniels and Josephs are needed. And we've been talking about Daniels and Josephs, Daniels and Josephs, right? I mean, if you've been a part of Christianity and Charismatic Church and the Seven Mountains thing, all they're talking about is Daniel and Joseph. Why? Because we need translators. We need people who know how to interpret the unseen so that it can become manifest in the, in the scene. So the beginning of things opening up and showing themselves on the earth, it starts in wisdom. Wisdom is a blueprint. Wisdom is an integrator. Wisdom allows my faith to have a process. I talked about last week how there's, there's tension right now between those who have faith and those who have wisdom. Because those who have faith have a hard time believing that there is a multiple steps to get to the outcome they have faith for. Meaning this, the Lord has called me to fill up stadiums. Or, I am called to the nations. These are all faith declarations. I am called to minister to presidents. I am called to lead the largest, fastest growing church in America. And you're like, maybe you should start a Bible study first. And then... Let me know how that goes. And uh, how many know that if you've never, if you're a brand new baby Christian and you believe that you're going to go counsel presidents in the ways of God, that there is a process to get to that thing that you have faith for? That's the tension we're in right now. Is that we've got a whole culture of people who've sold out for the unmeasurable. They've sold out for the unseen. And now they're realizing that unless they translate, they will never get themselves ready to operate in the thing they have faith for in the future. And so wisdom begins. What is wisdom? It's a strategy. It's an implementation. It's, it's a blueprint. It's the opportunity for us to step into a process that says, hey, you know what? This is only step one. And I know it's like, 2% of all the things that I see, but this is a worthy step because this is where we're going to start. Wisdom helps you get started. Isn't it funny? We always think that wisdom happens at the end. But it's actually wisdom helps you begin to manifest that which is unseen into the seen. Is this okay? Are we tracking? For those of you here last week, are the visuals helping? <laughs> okay, good. Let's go on. Let's go on. Okay. Matthew chapter 7. Everyone then who hears these words of mine. This is verse 24 through 27. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall 
of it. The charismatic church, charismatic Pentecostal church, is, is the most thriving church in the world right now. I mean, the idea of you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. If speaking in tongues was a language, it would be the fourth largest language in the world. Isn't that remarkable? The fourth most spoke language in the world is speaking in tongues. Unprecedented, right? It's remarkable. And so we're leading. We actually are leading. You know, we're, we're leading this whole endeavor of like Christianity. It's being led by the church. It's remarkable. And yet we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word rhema of God. Yeah, this is the revelatory word coming from the father. And so faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. But how many know that hearing isn't the only application for manifestation? What's our, what's our corporate why? It is heaven on earth. This is our key motivator. Heaven on earth. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How many know that, that the words of the spirit, are they seen or unseen? Unseen. That's an unseen experience. It's mysterious. It's awe-filled. It's wonder-filled. I don't know why it happens. I just know that it does. I can't measure it. I don't know what the wind is doing. I can't see it, but I can feel it, and I know that it's true. God speaks, and I know, and now I have faith. I don't know why I have faith outside of the fact that the Bible tells me that when I hear, I now have faith, and I have faith, so I heard. And so in, in that place, we have to realize that there's a responsibility to then do with what we heard. Yeah? Yeah? We have to do with what we heard. That's the tension right there. We are in the tension of hearing and doing right now. We are in the tension of the unseen and the seen. We're in the tension of love, hope, and faith versus wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. And the, our ability to manifest heaven on the earth will be in our devotion and commitment to first hear and then do what we heard. He says it here. He says, hey, you know, the wise man built his house on the rock. The foolish person built their house on the sand. Why was, why did the foolish person build on the sand? Why did they do that? Well, they didn't lack wisdom, but let's just think. That's practically. Why would you choose sand over a rock? Say what? It could be cheap. What else? It could be easier. What else? It's It's seen. Yeah, the rock is below the ground. Yeah, come on, what else? It's close to the water. Feels good, right? Location, location, location. I mean, this is marketing 101. I mean, how many know that the rock is probably sometimes unseen, but also sometimes elevated? Which means it's a little hard to get materials up there. The cliff, the rock, right? And, and so... You know, the foolish man wasn't like, oh, I want my house to be destroyed. The foolish man was thinking about things that were short-term versus long-term. I'm called to the president right now. I had a dream. Come on, this is Joseph 101. I had a dream. Hey, family, I'd like to tell you about my dream I had last night. Yes, I know I'm the youngest of you all but you're all about to love me. You're going to love me so much, you're going to bow down and worship me. Let's go ahead and practice that right now. Go ahead. Go ahead, practice bowing down and worshiping me. They're like, Joseph, you cocky little son of a gun. What? Who do you think you are? Little runt brother coming up telling us we're going to worship you. You know, and so they kind of gave him the business. They're a little upset. They're Dad, Dad, get Joseph in shape. Come on, man. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, Isaac loved, you know, or Israel, he loved, you know, Joseph. And so he was like, hey, you know, let's, uh, let's, let's do a little more here. Let's put a coat of many colors on this kid. And he was like, I thought so, Dad. <laughs> hey, everybody, I had another dream. Come close, come close, come close. Yeah, you guys were worshiping me again. Isn't this crazy? I mean, like, you guys must, you're going to love me so much. I'm amazing. You are less than me. You're going to worship me. And they were like, Y'all, family meeting. Joseph, you're not invited. Like, we got to take this guy down to Chinatown. Like, we got we to take care of this. And they're like, let's throw this guy in a well. 
Was he wrong? Was Joseph wrong? No. Where was he living from? The seen or the unseen? The unseen, wasn't he? He had a revelation in the unseen world about who he was. Come on, he had had an encounter of love. He was seeing the future, and he had faith to believe the word of the Lord, didn't he? But the whole story of Joseph's life from that point to the moment he becomes governor, what is it? It is the process of hearing and doing. He had to accept responsibility for that word. And so there he is in Potiphar's heart, Potiphar's house, wrongfully accused. And what's he got to do? He's still got to believe the unseen word, doesn't he? So now he has to allow this moment to shape his character. He goes into the prison and now the guy begins to, you know, run, tell him to run the prison. And he's a prisoner. This guy's collecting a wage and Joseph is running the prison and everything, the Bible says, everything he touches would begin to multiply and be blessed. Why? Because he was practicing the thing that he had seen in the unseen world. He believed so that he could see. And so here it is, he is, now, now he, he, you know, he's doing his thing and he's wrongfully accused. He's been abandoned and then the cupbearer, of Pharaoh, he was down there serving some time too. The cupbearer gets brought back up out of prison. And on his way out, Joseph's like, hey, 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 buddy. Remember me? Remember how I encouraged you? Remember how I prophesied over you? Remember how I interpreted your dreams? Remember how we were friends here and I helped you out? And everything I touched prospered down here in the jail? Tell Pharaoh all about me. And the guy's like, yeah, Joseph, me and you were tight. Like, I got you, bro. I got you. Did he remember? He didn't remember, did he? So he goes up, and the Bible says, I think it's two years, maybe three years. The cupbearer is working for Pharaoh again, and now Joseph is forgotten. He was abandoned, wrongfully accused. He was forgotten. He was taken advantage of. And the whole time, Joseph had to make a choice if he was going to, in wisdom, apply the word that God had given to him. I think he was applying the whole time. I think he was translating his prophetic words over every rat that came into his cellar, you know? I mean, I think he was prophesying over anything that had a heartbeat because he knew that his day was going to happen where he'd stand in front of Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, and if his gift wasn't sharp, he wouldn't be able to apprehend his destiny. So he's translating the jailer's dreams. He's translating the cupbearer's dreams. He's prophesying over, you know, whatever, the rats and the snakes. I mean, this guy's showing up. And then he gets called to the Pharaoh, and he has the wherewithal to shave and change his clothes, the Bible says. You want to talk about some confidence in the word of the Lord. I need to make myself ready because I'm a big deal, and I'm about to go get what I need to do. Someone say wisdom. That was wisdom, wasn't it? Making himself ready that he could go live and walk in the thing that God had told him and showed him in the unseen place. Are you, are you guys starting to catch this? There's something beautiful here about hearing and doing. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 is a culmination of a conversation. H how long was this conversation? How many chapters? Anybody know? It's three chapters. And this is the end of it, you know? Matthew chapter 5 is about the Beatitudes. That's what we know about it. Yeah, it's a great slide. Matthew chapter 6, we like that one. That's the prayer one. That's the heaven on earth one. Yeah, that's a good one. Woo! Teach us how to pray, Lord. And then at the end of Matthew 7, he's like, I never knew you. And so we preach these chapters separately because of some of the individual themes that kind of resonate with you know, commercial Christianity. The Beatitudes are nice. That looks really good on my, you know, my, my book card, you know, my, so I can find my little place in my Bible where I left off good, and, you know, and I got my footprints in the sand one too, and I like that one. It's amazing, and, uh, and I like that, and then Bill Johnson wrote Matthew chapter 6, and I like that one a lot because he wrote, he wrote that one, and then, and then Matthew 7, I kind of stay away from that one because, well, I just don't know what to do with that. And it makes God kind of sound angry. And I, I heard that he wasn't angry, so I just ignore that chapter now because I don't really know what to do with it. So, um. so Jesus is on the side of a mountain. He's giving his first message to start his ministry. And so, you know, Jesus is giving his 
his yoke at this moment. And his yoke as a rabbi was his version of Torah, his application of Torah into their present-day culture, right? And so as a, as a, a rabbi that had a high-level ranking and anointing, um, his baptismal service, if you guys want to hear more about first-century Jesus, I have a course called Relearn Jesus. You can go to relearnjesus.com. But, and I spend a lot of time on this. But ultimately, Jesus showed up out of the water in a ceremonial thing that elevated him to what they believe is kind of like a level five authority or anointing as a rabbi that they most likely hadn't seen in about 100 years. Culturally, this is who he was, right? And so we have this cultural icon that's now on the side of a mountain. You ever wondered how Jesus got 5,000 people to show up to his first message? This is how. He was the Justin Bieber of his day. He had demanded that everyone have to interact with him by leveraging the education and government mountains. So rabbis were not, was the highest, the highest honoring position outside of the Levitical tribe. Because the Levitical tribe could be high priests. The high priests were the most special people, but you could only do that by bloodline. What tribe was Jesus? Judah, right? So he wasn't eligible to be a high priest. Culturally, he wasn't eligible, even though he was the king and the priest of the order of Melchizedek, right? So culturally, he's honoring the system. Isn't it interesting that Jesus didn't march in the temple and be like, your job's done, and uh, give me all the tools, and I'm going to do the sacrifices now. I'm going to do the altar showbread. I'm going to do all the things. You guys are no longer needed. I am now the high priest, so goodbye. How many know he didn't do that? Why didn't he do that? Because he needed people to engage him in a different way. He needed to establish the order of the kingdom in a different way. And so he leveraged the rabbinical academies that then positioned rabbis to be the judges of their day. When they brought the woman with the, um, the woman who's caught in adultery, they put her at Jesus' feet. Why did they bring her to Jesus? It wasn't because they all thought he was a Messiah. It's that he was a rabbi. They were having an informal court hearing. We had witnesses. We had a victim. And we have a, a, we have a body of witnesses, a.k.a. a jury, who are waiting for the judge, Jesus, to release his verdict on what's going on. And so here they're saying, you know, hey, Jesus, what say you? Here's what's going on. And so Jesus had leveraged the political, governmental, judicial, and cultural position of his day, the most important position, to demand that people have to deal with him. How many know that it took wisdom, understanding, and knowledge to become the most influential cultural person of your day and still not be considered Messiah yet, even though you were one. You were the one. Wouldn't it be so much easier to be like, hey, everybody, I'm the Messiah. Here's a link to my PayPal and uh, make your donor. Hey, everybody, here's here's a storm. Woo-hoo! And here it goes away. It's pretty cool. Hey, dead person, rise up and walk. Hey, everybody, look at me. Look at me. I'm the Messiah. That would have been pretty easy, wouldn't it? He could have done that. On the cross, he could have done what? What did he say? 10,000 angels. I could call on 10,000 angels right now. But he didn't, did he? It was wisdom, understanding, and knowledge that allowed him to integrate as Messiah on the earth and translate that which was unseen into the seen. So Jesus is on the side of a mountain giving his Torah, or he's giving his yoke, which is his perspective as a rabbi on Torah, not his perspective as Messiah. It was his perspective as a, as a cultural icon. And so he's saying, hey, you've heard it said like this, but I say it like this. And he's giving them this exchange of saying, hey, you know your constitution? You know the things that are written in the oral law and the things the Pharisees are saying and the things that, you know, the rabbis are saying and then the things that Moses said, all of these things. You've heard it said like this, but I say it like this. And if you actually go deep into the scripture, you'll realize in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 that there is a theme that Jesus is talking about and it's others. The Beatitudes is about others. Salt and light, verse 16 of chapter 5, is about others. Divorce is about how you handle others. The least of these, when you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me, is about others. Matthew chapter 6 doesn't open up with the Lord's Prayer. It opens up with meeting the needs of the widows and the orphans, the poor, it says. 
And then Jesus goes into Matthew 6, verse 6 or 9. I can't remember which one it is. And then I teach us how to pray. We're like six verses into the chapter. And then I teach us how to pray. Isn't it interesting that the first thing that Jesus says is, Our Father who art in heaven. Isn't it interesting that he didn't say, My Father. Whose Father was it? Our Father. How many know that Jesus was addressing a mindset for all of these people to realize they were included? That his father was actually our father. And so Jesus is saying, hey, you know, this, this is what it looks like. Our, you know, heaven on earth. Here it is. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us our trespasses. What are trespasses about? How we've handled others lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil what was the temptation what was all the things he just talked about he just talked about all the temptations jealousy strife anger casting a stone turning the other cheek going the extra mile giving your, your tunic away like all these things feeding the widow and the orphan when you've done it to the least things you've done it unto me like all these things are in the conversation and he's saying hey this is what it looks like ultimately the Lord's prayer is heaven comes to earth when we're willing to manifest from the unseen the reality of heaven into the scene for the benefit of others well, that's actually what's going on there and he continues in Matthew 6 afterwards he's talking about others Matthew 7 is all about others us and them those who are in those who are out and all these weird perspectives that they had and ultimately Jesus has the culmination in Matthew 7 and he says the wise man is the one who hears and does Heaven on earth is for the benefit of others through me for you And here we are in the tension of our faith hope and love Needed to press into wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. And we need a little bit of courage to believe that God's going to be with us in the process as we translate, integrate, and apply and accept responsibility to bring solutions into the world that actually look like the substance of the unseen, but come up for the benefit of even those who would never even understand. I've been talking about becoming a solutionary. This is exactly what a solutionary does. It, the solutionary starts, the mindset of the solutionary starts right there in that pink little line that I had between love, hope, and faith and wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. Show this, we should, yeah, right there. This is where the solutionary mindset starts. It's from love, hope, and faith, but it's about understanding how to create solutions for the world so that we can reform the systems of the world. Yeah? And so we don't need man's wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. We need supernatural wisdom, understanding, and knowledge so that we can found, establish, and open here on the earth. This is our invitation right now to begin to expand our heart, our capacity for, for what it is that God wants to do through me and through you. I gave you a lot to think about today. If there's something I want you to take home, it's this. You are currently bigger on the inside than you are on the outside. And we need to figure out how to get what's on the inside of you on the outside of you. This is the tension that we're all living in. Is how do I get Christ in me, the hope of glory, the future expectation of the good of glory being manifest in the earth is currently in me. Glory is in me. The hope of it, the confidence, the joyful expectation in the future of experiencing glory is currently in me. So how do I get that glory that's in me from God through me and out of me and manifesting into the earth? That's the opportunity. You're not just mom. You're not just dad. You're not just grandma. You're not just neighbor. You're not just 
person who makes this amount of money or not just person who has these certain friends. You're not limited to the things that are currently around you. You are a big deal. You're a son of the living king. You're a daughter of the most high who has the ability to change the world around you. You're not just a neighbor. You're a neighbor with solutions. Come on, you're not just a mother. You're a mother with divine inspiration. Come on, you're not just a dad. You're a deva- your dad full of wisdom and understanding and knowledge to be able to manifest heaven on the earth. I'm, uns- I'm, like, I'm not willing to just talk about heaven on earth. This is an up-the-game message. This is, let's put a little more weight on the bar message. This is a calling you forward and realizing that we can't just continue to have good meetings where we host the presence. We need to begin to translate the presence and move it through us to become solutions into the world. Now, I know I've said that a bunch, but I've never said this. This is new. This has given us some proximity. This has given us some measurable things of saying, okay, I've had love, I've had hope, and I've had faith, and now this is the next step in my process. Step number four, wisdom. That's what we need. We need divine wisdom so that we can begin to found and begin and apply and strategize and integrate all the things that we've gained in the unseen place for the benefit of your neighbor, your kids, your grandmother, your employer, your, your employees, whatever it looks like. How can we begin to take the God-sized dream that he has about what we're doing and where we're going and integrate heaven so it manifests in a new and powerful way? Is this connecting? So it's interesting because, like, there's this many of us in the room right now. And I don't know anyone saying this. I don't know anyone who's like, yeah, this is where we're at right now, and this is what's next. Like, God's inviting us into something through wisdom. God's giving us a blueprint right now, church. This is a blueprint. And this blueprint's going to change the face of charismatic the face of the charismatic movement. This revelation right here will. It doesn't matter whether or not we're giving it away. It's what's about to happen, because if we got it, more people are about to get it. We're just in the forerunning piece of wisdom, because that's what God's invited us into, is wisdom, right? How many of you guys have been embracing that wisdom piece and, and, and discovering it? I mean, we have, we have radical words about this. I, I've been going after it and wanting to understand it and, and, uh, and, and begin to speak and, do, and train from these things. And it's like, this is what we're called to manifest. We're called to pioneer in the next season of what God's doing. It's, it's stage number four. Go. Doors opening. Move. Initiate stage four. Wisdom. Automate. Heaven. Unseen. Into scene. Realm. Yeah, this is where we're at. It's an invitation for us to begin to explore and discover what's possible with supernatural blueprints, what's possible with strategies, what's possible when we can begin to say, hey, I'm going to begin to manifest something on the earth that I gained that was unmeasurable and from the unseen place. You're bigger on the inside than you are on the outside. It doesn't have to be complex. I hope this doesn't sound complex because it doesn't have to be complex. It simply is this. God, what do you want to do through me that is sustainable on the earth and not just an event on the earth? If it's love your neighbor, then how do you love your neighbor in a supernatural way and not just I was nice to them way? You know what I'm saying? Let's stand. I'm running late. So there's a little bit of like accepting responsibility for the things that we haven't measured. How many of you guys have prophetic words that nothing's happened yet on? Yeah, right. So we've been taught, even if you don't believe this, 
there's residue in the charismatic movement that the prophetic is genie in the bottle. It's like a wish that then it will happen to you someday, and you're a victim to that word. You take this revelation, and now it says, I'm responsible for the word God gave me. Ho, ho, ho. So, how do we manifest that word? Where does it start? Wisdom. It starts with wisdom. Getting a strategy. How do I partner with the word that God gave me? How do I begin to put steps in motion for the thing that God gave me? But you, by faith, you know, faith comes by hearing. I heard a word from God that became a promise that I adopted, and now I need to begin to do something with that. Because I have to hear and do. I have to hear and do. I have a responsibility to hear and do, or else I'm a, I'm a fool. I'm a building in the sand. Yeah? And so there's an invitation for us to ask the Lord, Lord, what have you shared with me that I have not yet done anything with? And there's a bunch of different reasons why we haven't done it. Some of it's like we're scared half of our brains. We're like, that's so huge. I'm going to minister to presidents. I have no clue where to start. So you're intimidated by the word. You know, for some of you, it's like you just maybe you have that residue that I'm talking about. Well, it's just like it's a wish. Like God's going to make me do this someday in the future. And I'm just waiting for when he's going to make me do this. And it's like, oh, okay. And then, and then for some of you, you just didn't even know you had permission. Like you've been chomping at the bit. You're like bored. You're like, Lord, when is this going to happen? I'm so bored right now. And you didn't realize you had permission to step in through wisdom to begin to manifest the unseen into the seen world. And whatever it is, we all have things in our lives that we have collected through the experience of love, hope, and faith that have been deposited in us. You are bigger on the inside than you are on the outside right now. And the question is, God, what begins to happen when your wisdom comes over me? When stage four begins to initiate, when the doors begin to open and I realize you've invited me into your wisdom, your understanding, your knowledge. Lord, I want to hear and do. I'm not satisfied with hearing. I'm not satisfied with the unseen. I love it. I need it. It's where I'm founded from. It is the source. It is my strength. But Lord, we know that it's heaven on earth. So Lord, in your wisdom, what can I begin to do from my being? Lord, we want your wisdom. Holy Spirit, you're, you're here and we acknowledge you. Person of wisdom, you're in the room right now. We acknowledge you. Person of truth, you're in the room right now. We acknowledge you. Oh, this is a meeting place right now. Holy Spirit, what do you want to elevate to me that you've already told me that is now ready for wisdom? Holy Spirit, what is it that you want to elevate to me that you've already told me that is now ready for wisdom? just release freedom and permission in the room right now to begin to partner with the Lord 
over the things he's elevating to you right now, the promises he's reminding you of, the words he's declared over you, the freedom you've experienced, the things you've attained and acquired in the unseen that he's elevating for you right now. This is a kairos moment. This is a divine moment. This is a powerful invitation to begin to embrace the process of wisdom from the unseen to manifest into the unseen. Lord, we thank you right now. We thank you right now for the invitation. And we accept the invitation. We accept the permission as sons and daughters. We accept the invitation into maturity to handle your wisdom, to handle your understanding and knowledge that we can manifest heaven on the earth. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. How many of you right now have something that's been elevated? There's been a promise that you've been reminded of. Something that's being elevated. Andrew, I saw that when you were, you made eye contact a few times. There's, it's, it's bright on you, man. And uh, so, Father, we thank you, Lord, for that promise that's being elevated. Lord, we thank you for divine wisdom coming over him, Lord, to know how to integrate. Lord, how to take that which was immeasurable, make it measurable, that which was unseen, to turn it into the seen. The thing that was not integrated, the thing that was not applied, the thing that didn't have a strategy, we declare right now in Jesus' name a divine download, a visitation of wisdom in a new and unprecedented way in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Lord. Who else got a promise? Remind them, stir it in their heart, yeah? Ra raise your hand up high. If that was you in the room. Father, I thank you right now. Lord, I bless, Lord, these words. Father, that are elevating. Lord, we, we declare the partnership of wisdom right now. The partnership of wisdom right now in Jesus' mighty name. Lord, the things that are resonating already right now, Lord, we partner it. Lord, I release it. Lord, as a house, we declare it. Lord, carrying this breakthrough, we declare, Lord, the integration. Lord, the, the, the partnership of wisdom to our faith in Jesus' mighty name. And Lord, I just declare over every person that we'd walk out of here stirred. Father, Lord, knowing and revisiting the things that you want to elevate right now. And we declare that as they are elevated, as we acknowledge them, that wisdom would join to it in that moment. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing here this afternoon. We bless you, God. And we thank you for wisdom that's coming over us. In Jesus' mighty name. Someone say amen.